as Jesus, the saviour of the world, hung on the cross. From noon onwards, darkness came over the whole land. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made the world and he made it good. And in the beginning, out of nothing, God created night and day. He created darkness and light. And he separated two from each other. But here, as Jesus hangs on the cross... The separation of night and day becomes confused in the chaos of man's sin. Sin that entered the world all too soon after God had created it good. As first in Adam, man turned away from God and sin and death entered into the world. Not long after that, Things took an even greater turn as man killed another man. Cain killed righteous Abel. From that moment, the darkness of humanity's sin and twisted evil as we have killed each other and sought our own goodness, obeyed our own wills and not the will of God has brought more and more darkness into the world. But God did not abandon the world to the darkness. He sent prophets to call people back to himself, to promise that there could be a new way of life, a way of life with God once again. But time and time again, those prophets came But the sin and rebellion of man increased. Those to whom the prophets were sent not only often ignored the prophets, but they killed them. Into the midst of this scene, God promised that there would be a day when the darkness is dealt with. When he would deal with all that is wrong in the world and bring it to an end. A decisive day of the Lord where all would be put right. The cross is that day. Throughout the Old Testament, as we heard in the reading from Isaiah... It was promised that one day there would be a servant who would come and suffer on behalf of the world. Somebody who had done no wrong. Upon him, all the darkness would be placed. All the darkness would be placed. And so as darkness at 12 o'clock came over the world, all That is wrong in the world. And we don't need to think very hard to know what is wrong in the world. It was all upon Jesus. And he bore the anguish and the agony that comes with all that darkness. 
unspeakable pain that I won't begin to try and describe because my words could do it no justice. And the worst of that pain was feeling the separation that comes from God as a result of sin. And so in the midst of the darkness, towards the end of his life, he cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the eternal Son, who is only known closest to the Father, because of our sin, here he felt the <coughs> anguish of feeling truly abandoned by his Father. The onlookers at the time had no understanding of what they were witnessing. Just to be honest, as we don't fully comprehend the magnitude of what occurred on the cross. And so out of their misunderstanding, they said, this man is calling for Elijah. And they thought, will Elijah come and save him? What folly. He was not there to be saved by anyone, not Elijah or anyone else. He was there to save us. He was there to bear all that darkness. The darkness lasted for three hours as he hung in agony. (laughs) But then, at three o'clock, coinciding with us, Jesus breathed his last. The light returned. The light returned. And then the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. This moment was no ordinary death. It's no wonder that at least one of the onlookers, a centurion, saw these marvellous events and cried out, Surely this man was God's son. Surely this man was God's son. These events that occurred as Jesus bred his Last were not random events. There were four events that help us to understand what has happened in that fateful moment as Jesus died. The temple curtain splits into. Throughout the Old Testament, Jesus God had 
faithfully made himself known to his people. He had made his presence available to dwell in his people's presence through the temple. But it was a mediated presence that could only be entered into through specific ceremonies at specific times in specific ways. As Jesus died, the temple curtain was torn in two. And that place that represented God's presence came out into the world. As Jesus died, the presence of God became available to all. The earth shook. Throughout the Old Testament, earthquakes were a sign of the end times. The sign of God's activity in a coming of judgment to bring an age to an end. Certainly on the cross, the age of sin and darkness was coming to an end. But something more was also happening. In chapter 24 of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says that in the end times, there will be earthquakes. And these earthquakes wouldn't just be signs of judgment, but there would be birth pains. There would be signs of new birth. The earthquake as Jesus died shows that his death was the ending of one world and the beginning of a new And in that new world, there will be new life. And we see the first fruits of that new life as the tombs are broken open and some of the holy people come alive again. New life comes because Jesus has died. And all of this happens as the darkness that has reigned over so much of human history, that was visible that was visible in the three hours up to Jesus' death, comes to an end. There is much darkness in this world, but Jesus, the light of the world, is not overcome by it. His light brings new life. But it sounds odd to say that all that victory, and yes, That is victory that has occurred at that moment. Happens as Jesus is lifeless on the tree. His body there cursed. As if it's consumed all the darkness into himself. So that he's no longer plaguing the world. But he himself has suffered its consequences. He himself is dead. It's at the centre of the Christian faith, this paradox, this confusing reality, that the victory is won, not in this great triumphant act of a victorious warrior like we might imagine, but in the humility and humiliating anguish of the Son of God dying a sinner's death. It's in that, the sinner's cross, that the glory of God is shown its great victory. And it is there that new light and new life is won for each of us. 
And if we are to follow Jesus, it's that reality that is to shape our lives. The reality that victory and new life comes through death. It comes through suffering. Jesus spoke to his disciples before he died and said, If you are to follow me, you too must take up your cross and suffer. And the Apostle Paul talked about how in his baptism and in following Jesus, he was baptised into Jesus' death, into his suffering. And he considered it a pure joy to suffer with Jesus. Because he knew that as he was joining with Christ's suffering on the cross that we remember today, then he too would have the joy and the privilege of knowing the hope and the victory that comes through the cross that we will remember in a few days as Jesus rises to new life. New life that is promised to each and every one of us. And so we look to the cross to see the world is not as we thought. Darkness is not overcome by force. But by humility and giving yourself on behalf of others. And there we see an invitation to join with that. And to offer ourselves in service and love of others. And in doing so, the light that returned as Jesus died will be carried in our lives and shown to others. In our loving sacrifices, people will see the light and the life that comes through Christ's death. But there he is, still on the cross. In a moment, we'll have our last reading. A reading where Jesus is taken down off the cross and placed in a tomb. There is a bit of irony that he is placed in a tomb. Moments after, at his death, a great many tombs have been opened by an earthquake. The tomb has already been defeated. But for now, we wait. As the victorious saviour is laid lifeless in the tomb. 